the Slaughter in May podcast. Hello and welcome to this Slaughter in May podcast. I'm Jennifer Sadek, an associate in the finance team here at Slaughter in May, and I'm joined today by Matthew Tobin, head of DCM at Slaughter's, and Chris Vaughan, the general counsel at Whitbread. For those of you who don't know, the Whitbread Group owns the Premier Inn hotel chain, as well as various accompanying restaurant brands. And earlier this year, we worked with Chris and his team on the issuance of a dual tranche green bond. Today, we're going to be discussing the attraction, advantages and practicalities for issuing green and ESG bonds, which I know is something that a lot more companies and treasury teams have been considering. One point to clarify, I guess, at the outset is that when we're talking about a green bond in this podcast, we're referring to a use of proceeds bond. So similar to your conventional standalone bond, but the proceeds of which are required to be used to fund a range of environmental projects which are identified prior to the issuance. So let's kick off. Chris, I know that Whitbread's sustainability programme is something that you're very proud of, but could you tell us a little bit more about it at the outset? Yeah, sure. Hi, Jen. Thanks. Um, So yeah, we are very proud of it. It's been going for around 10 years or so, although we've recently had a much more enhanced focus on it, I have to say. And it's a pretty broad programme. It covers uh, things like the the people side of our, our business, so training, development, diversity and inclusion, uh, mental health, things like that. We look at the roles we play in the communities in which we operate. We've got around 820 or so hotels in the UK. So as you can imagine, we touch a lot of communities and do a lot of work in the communities. And it also covers our environmental uh, footprint. So the role, the impact we have on the planet. So this is where we have our targets for um, net zero. We have a net zero by 2040 target for carbon emissions, for example, we have a target to reduce food waste uh, and eliminate single-use plastics and about responsible sourcing as well. So it's a pretty broad programme. And if you think about Whitbread's business, you know, we're a hotel business. So we are, we are buying pieces of land and building hotels on them, or we're signing leases and landlords are building hotels and then we're, we are uh, occupying them. We obviously operate those hotels and we also have about 450 restaurants, by the way. And obviously we're buying lots of products to operate our business. So that's how we invest our capital or cash in the business. And I think that's important just as we think about how we might allocate proceeds in a green bond issue. Thanks. That all sounds great. And the bond itself was obviously a great success, being hugely oversubscribed and pricing very tightly. Do you think that a large part of that was on account of its green features? And, and what would you say that the main factors were for it receiving such a good reception? Yeah, I think the green features certainly helped. The There was a significant amount of appetite for the bond. We were over eight times oversubscribed. It's a little bit hard to say exactly what proportion of that was down to the green element of it. Um, When I talked to the banks afterwards, they would put sort of two to three times of that around the sort of green bond element. But we had a significant amount of interest in it and we attracted a slightly different investor base to the normal investor base that we would have for a normal bond issue and and obviously from our equity investors. But for us, it was 
it was a way of demonstrating you know the fact that our sustainability program was a good one it was like an endorsement of our sustainability program that's why we were so keen to do it and as soon as our uh, CFO and I had a discussion about doing a bond issue I was very keen to see if we could find a way of doing a green bond because I thought it was the right thing to do and it was a clear it would be a clear endorsement of our sustainability program as well as potentially attracting investors that we otherwise wouldn't be able to attract and potentially even attracting you know slightly better a better margin on the bond itself so i think it, it was a success we did we were quite lucky in one sense in that we got the timing right you know we did it in february of this year 2021 when there was a lot of talk of recovery out of the COVID pandemic. And obviously we're a hospitality business, so we've been particularly badly affected by the pandemic. But actually, you know, the uh, a lot of investors bought into our recovery story because we're a well-capitalized business. So, you know, in contrast to some of our competitors. So it was a good credit story, but there was significant appetite for the green bond. And at the time we did it, there was a lack of supply of green bonds and plenty of appetite for it. So the timing was right. It all sort of came together. I think that's that's really helpful, Chris, in terms of both understanding the background in terms of your sustainability programme and also why that led to doing the green bond, why that made sense for you. Just going back to that conversation with, with the CFO, the sort of first conversation about make, this is going to be a, a green bond and the practical aspects of that. I guess one of the main practical aspects was the requirement for a, a green framework, which was for the purpose of this bond issuance. And I guess that was something you were thinking about in terms of how to issue the bond. Just looking back, how did you find that process of putting together the green framework? Yeah, so it wasn't entirely straightforward. I, I think green bonds weren't necessarily designed for companies like Whitbread, but they've become it's become much more common for companies like Whitbread to use them. I think what really helped us was having a well-established sustainability program because we had a clear idea about the sort of investments we were making in sustainable projects. And the way what we did was to look at what what other people had done when they'd issued green bonds, the sort of projects that they were using um, for use of proceeds bonds. And we we sort of designed our framework around that. So it wasn't entirely straightforward. And it, that's why I explained at the start what Whitbread does, because obviously we're investing in buildings and um, green buildings are a key part of the green bond principles. So we, we work to the International Capital Markets Association green bond principles and um, green buildings are a key part of that, uh, those principles, but also green operations, including, um, you know, if you think about a hotel, we have energy efficient management systems. We invest in things like solar panels, renewable energy. We recently announced a deal to install electric vehicle charging points in a lot of our hotels for example um, also we're procuring a lot of our products sustainably so things like we buy a lot of timber we buy a lot of cotton if you think about a 
hotel. We think we're the second largest purchaser of cotton in the country after the NHS, actually. We buy a lot of timber and fish and things like that. So all of that really was was something that we could use as eligible projects when we were thinking about the uh, the green bond principles. We did have some uh, some other things that we procure sustainably that were, didn't really fit with the green bond principles, which were a bit harder. So things like um, anything to do with animal husbandry. So the purchase of beef, pork, chicken, for example, which we buy a lot of, wasn't going to be possible. Um, although we do buy them sustainably. And we did have a discussion about with the second party opinion provider about whether to allow them as sustainable projects, but they basically rejected that. We also had a quite an interesting discussion with them about eggs because we buy a lot of eggs to in our <laughs> in our breakfast and they didn't like even they didn't even like free range eggs. So we set what we settled on was a framework in three parts. The first was um, around green buildings. So the capital expenditure that we have in green buildings. The second is around green operations of those buildings. So these are the energy efficient management systems, the electric vehicle charging points, solar panels, also the procurement of renewable energy which is also part of that. And then the third element was a procurement element, which is around the procurement of certain products like fish, timber and cotton to sustainable standards. And that's how we framed our, you know, the framework with um, with a second party opinion provider. But it was a little bit of a it was a bit of a negotiation. And because the frameworks are public, it was quite helpful to be able to see what other companies had done and, you know, other retail companies in particular. So people with you know, portfolios of retail units or retail estate, we looked at those companies to see what they'd done and then adapted our own framework to suit what we thought we could do to comply with the green bond principles from the ICMA. So that's how we put it together. It wasn't entirely straightforward. It was a bit of a negotiation. It really helped that we had a well-established sustainability program at the start. So we knew, you know, we knew exactly what we were spending on green buildings, for example. And don't forget that you can look back three years and forward three years when you're thinking about how much to allocate to these proceeds. So that's that's how we did it. And we were we were issuing bonds uh, worth circa 500 million pounds. So we ended up with 550 million in the end just because we were so oversubscribed and the pricing was attractive. But um, we had to be comfortable that we you know we could allocate proceeds to that amount to all of these all of these things within the framework. So it was quite a lot of work doing it. I wouldn't underestimate that. It definitely added a bit of time to the to the timetable. But the more organized you can be up front, the better and the clearer you can be around how much you spend on all of your eligible projects and are likely to spend over the the coming years, the easier it'll be for you. Thanks, Chris. And I'm pleased you've focused on the, the role there of the second party opinion provider, because that's obviously a, a key role in terms of issuing this type of instrument. And it is, of course, rather different from just issuing a vanilla bond. It's an additional part of the process. And I think, uh, interestingly, actually, since you issued your, your bond 
um, the ICMA have updated the principles just to, to, to put the role of the opinion provider forward more forcefully than, than perhaps it was before, which I think just reflects um, the practice in the market. Just, just picking up on sort of uh, key other issues for companies that are, are thinking about issuing a green bond. I guess one, one, of, one of them is just the sort of timing issue. How, how much does it add to the, the timing? Yeah, so we, we would normally, when we've done bond issues before, we would normally think about a four to six week process for a bond issue. That's the sort of nature of it, if you're reasonably well organised. It probably did add a bit, to be honest, mostly because it was the first time we're doing it. So I think it took sort of a, more like eight weeks from start to finish rather than six. Um, we used a second party opinion provider called Sustainalytics, um, who were, I think, you know, one of the market leaders in this in this field. They, they work to their own timetable. So you do need to factor that in and they have, once you submit your green framework, they come back to you within a certain amount of days. So you do need to factor that into your timetable. It definitely um, added a little bit of time and some complexity into the, into the process. What, one, one thing I did, which I thought worked well, was to spend you know, some time with Sustainalytics right at the start of the process, just explaining about our own sustainability program, how well established it was, what we were doing, what, what our targets were, where we spent all of our money, just to make sure that they had a really good understanding of the sort of things we were doing. And I think I think that helped and I think sustainability sustainalytics really welcomed that. They had a much they had a really good understanding of our business. And I think when we came to talk about eligible projects and the framework, which was a little bit of a negotiation as I've said, then it, it just made it that bit that bit easier. So I think if you if you are going to do it, you need to be organised. You need to have thought about your eligible projects within the green bond principles before you start. I'd recommend early conversations with your second party opinion provider just to just to explain the background to your sustainability program, and you know just. Um, just be prepared to add a little bit of extra time in uh, into your process. I think if we'd had to do a bond issue really quickly, I don't think we would have done a green bond. I think we would have gone with a plain vanilla one. Um, but I'm glad, you know, with hindsight, I'm really glad we did it. I think it's been it's been a really interesting experience, and I do think it's an endorsement of our sustainability program. No, I can see that. Yeah, and so when I asked the banks if there was any margin advantage as a result of doing a green bond, I know it's a, it's not a, an exact science this, but they did indicate that there was a margin advantage, largely because of the amount of demand for the bonds, so increased demand, and they put that at about there or thereabouts ten basis points of advantage. Now that's quite a lot of money. In you know we were issuing a five hundred and fifty million pound bonds. So, you know, that's an annual sort of interest rate margin advantage of over half a million pounds a year. So there's a real saving in monetary terms for us in doing this in the first place, which when you add that to the reputational advantage, which we thought we would we would gain and having access to a different investor pool made it quite a compelling proposition. Thanks, Chris. Um, and like you say, there's obviously a bit of an aspect of getting sustainalytics up the curve as to, to 
what you're what you're putting in your green framework and how that works in your business. But when it came to the investors on your roadshow, did you also find that there was re- reasonably specific questions on your green framework or much interest from the investors in the, the green aspects of the bond? There was actually. So I think the finance director and I did a roadshow to around 30 or 35 bond investors. They're not they weren't necessarily the investors we would normally see. We did see some specific sort of green boss, green bond funds that want to, were interested in buying the bonds. Um, I would think of all of the questions we had, the, the questions on the green bond framework was probably about 25 to 35%, so between a quarter and a third, something like that. And they tended to focus on the use of proceeds. So what, what were we going to do with the proceeds? Um, was the spend sort of historic or forward looking? What sort of capital projects were we going to invest in and things like that? But I think like any bond issue, the lion's share of the questions was still about around the company's strategy, its credit worthiness. And at the time when we did it in February 2021, Whitbread was a COVID recovery sort of story. So a lot of questions around COVID recovery. But the ESG element nevertheless took up, I'd say, around between a quarter and a third, something like that. Just going back, Chris, just to, to the sort of initial decision of what, what product to issue, as you said before, actually, when you came to issuance, that was effectively in the middle of our our second lockdown, or third lockdown, whichever way you look at it, but January um, 2021. And I guess there were other other products on the table, so potentially a sustainability linked bond or or a sustainability linked loan. Just going back to that rationale as to, to why this product, can you can you say a little bit about that for us? Yeah, of course. I mean, we did look at sustainability linked bonds. I think that the way a sustainability linked bond works is that you agree certain KPIs. Um, the issue we found with that was that we weren't quite sure which KPIs to focus on. So I'll give you an example. We have a target of achieving net zero, uh, a carbon reduction target to net zero by 2040. But the way the target is actually delivered, it's a bit lumpy. So you can make quite a big dent in the target by, for example, buying renewable electricity. But other than that, it and it obviously it's a 20 year target. So it doesn't necessarily come out evenly through the uh, duration of the bond, which was in our case six years. So we felt it was uh, it was simpler and easier for us to work on a, you know, what we thought was a great standard, a use of proceeds bond, and we we could identify readily the proceeds that we use it for. So. We decided to go with a use of proceeds bond. I wouldn't rule out doing a sustainability linked bond in the future as well. And we also were extending our revolving credit facility. And we did look at whether to do a sustainability linked revolving credit facility, which you can do. But again, it would have been quite complex to do that at the same time as the green bond. And um, they all, you also run into the same issue with what targets, what KPIs should you link the sustainability loan to? So in the end, we ended up doing the use of proceeds bond, the green bond, and a sort of plain vanilla revolving credit facility. Um, but I would definitely not rule out doing sustainability linked bonds 
and certainly next time we do a renewal of the revolving credit facility we'll look at a sustainability linked loan no i can see that and i guess i guess with the kpis the, the thing about this bond was maturity of five years and not necessarily the same targets in terms of when you, when you were going to hit your kpis so so that that makes sense to me just just a word on the sort of internal process for you because it's obviously a bit different doing a a green bond than doing a vanilla bond where where the expertise lies probably solely within the, the finance and, and treasury teams in terms of the process. I, I'm guessing for most companies, actually, for doing a green bond, that, that involves bringing people in from other parts of the, the organisation in, in order to, to, to do the issuance. Do you, do you want to say a little bit about that in, in Whitbread's case? Yeah, that's a great point, actually. And doing a green bond did feel like a little bit more of a team effort. You're right that if you did a plain vanilla bond, it's mostly a finance, treasury, legal type process. And there's a bit of a tried and tested formula for it. Whereas for our green bond, it was a combination of finance, treasury and legal. But also my sustainability team was, was uh, implicitly involved in it. Um, but we also needed to involve the property team, for example, because we were uh, investing in green buildings, the procurement team, because we were, um, we were relying on spend on things like renewable energy and sustainable cotton and timber and fish and things like that. So it felt like much more of a broader company team effort. And it did take a little bit more time as a result, A, to get everyone up to speed and then be just to sort of investigate all the different permutations of the bond internally so i i think the the, the lesson for me anyway is it's perfectly doable but you do need to allow a little bit more time you need to get everyone on board with with what you're doing and why and explain the advantages to people but it's perfectly doable it probably probably added around two weeks i'd say to a plain vanilla bond. So if we wanted to raise the same funds in a real hurry, I would think a, the sort of plain vanilla standalone is probably easier. But I certainly think that, um, you know, what we did was doable in a in a relatively short period of time, but it did require greater coordination internally. Yeah, and as we've touched on, I think it is coming out that there is obviously a bit more work involved for, with the green framework and, and generally more personnel involved if you're issuing an ESG bond as opposed to your, your plain vanilla standalones. But after the issuance, as the issuer, have you felt that the benefits of issuing the green bond have outweighed the kind of additional complexity and, and time requirements for doing so? Yes, I think I think I, I do think that, actually. I think it's definitely been an endorsement of our sustainability program. Obviously, as I mentioned earlier, we've got a little bit of a margin advantage. It's also had the impact internally of creating a bit more interest in a bond issue. You know, we spent quite a lot of time explaining what it is we've done, what we're going to spend the money on. And that also has generated more interest in our sustainability program because we're just highlighting things like, you know, we, we're spending a lot of capital on environmentally friendly buildings, for example, which I don't think people necessarily knew before. So I think, yes, it's a little bit more process. Yes, it's a bit more complex, but I think it is a, an endorsement of our programme, both internally and externally. 
it's and it's you know it's it's had a little bit of a margin advantage so i definitely believe that the benefits outweigh the additional complexity and any additional time requirements um and i would i would do it again as long as we've got time well that all sounds very positive it's good to hear that you think the the work was worthwhile and I think that's probably answered my last question, which was um, whether or not you thought there was going to be future green bonds and ESG products for Whitbread. Thanks, Chris. And thank, thanks for all, all of your insights. I and mean, it's been really helpful to hear. I think my, my sort of key takeaways are sort of first, you're benefiting doing this from a, a really strong framework in the process and lots of work that you've done before and, and a really supportive board. And, and that sort of put you in a very good position. Second, there was a further process involved in terms of the work with the second party um, opinion provider, Sustainalytics, and in terms of the, the framework. And that added a little bit to the process for the, for the green bond that wouldn't have been there otherwise for a vanilla bond. But I suppose third, the most important thing is, is the point that you were making just now in terms of the, the, the interest that that's generated for you both within Whitbread and also externally with, with investors. Um, and the pricing advantage meant that actually it's something which you regarded as being a big success and, and would think about doing again. Um, did you have anything, anything more that, that you'd add? Um, no, I think that's a really good summary. I definitely regard it as a success and I definitely consider doing it again. I think, as you said, you do need to be prepared um, you need to have a decent sustainability framework and you need to think about um, how the use of proceeds can fit within that. You do need to add a little bit more time. Um, it is a team effort and you need to include other people within the organisation who can help you. And the roadshow is a little bit more complex than it otherwise might be as well, because you have to allow for time and questions on different elements of the framework. So in, in our case, you know, the use of proceeds and how we're going to spend the money. But overall, I thought it was a, a really well worthwhile process. And I would definitely recommend um, if you're certainly for people to think about it and take some advice on it, because um, I think it's been beneficial for us as a company as a whole. Well, thank you both. Um, and particularly thanks, Chris, for joining us today. Um, and equally, thank you, everyone, for listening. We hope that you find this podcast insightful. And if you do have any questions or would like further information on green bonds or ESG products generally, please do get in touch with Matthew or your usual Slaughter and May contact. For more information on this topic or to hear our other podcasts, please visit www.slaughterandmay.com. You can also subscribe to the Slaughter and May podcast on iTunes or Google Play.